Hi, my name is Joe Jackson. I'm a journalist, author, interviewer and broadcaster. And down through the years, one of my great delights is, if not presenting radio programmes about the music I love, then being asked to discuss it on someone else's radio show. What follows is one such clip of myself and Mike Murphy, Ireland's greatest art show presenter ever, discussing something I wrote about during my tenure tenure with the Irish Times. You see, during that decade, the 1990s, I also happened to be the popular music correspondent for the art show on RT Radio 1. And both that station and the Irish Times like to see themselves as the radio station and newspaper of record, respectively. These programme segments, and sometimes full shows, would usually occur after Mike read an article I wrote and phoned me to appear on the programme, or after I myself would recommend an item that might be of interest to our listeners and even provide a script, around which Mike and I would happily improvise. By the way, if you want to read some of the articles I wrote about music, the arts and popular culture in general, plus politics, check out my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com. Right, Joe, from one romantic balladeer to another, I'm uh, not talking about you, by the way, (laughs) Um, (laughs) Neil Diamond. As I mentioned, Neil Diamond is going to feature. Now, should we not all have given up on Neil Diamond? He was good for his time, or is that time still not over? Is that time still not over? I'll I'll get back to you on that one after Christmas. I think his time as a a seller of current albums is over, Uh, though apparently his last album, and I can't even remember its title, Tennessee Moon, perhaps, did sell well on the heels of his recent world tour. But there is phenomenal interest. And I just get it. The moment I saw there was another Greatest Hits collection, I said, not again. And that's as a reviewer. So I'm sure his fans say much the same thing. And I think particularly Irish fans would prefer to hang on to the double CD set that was released in 1993 and contained four cuts that were recorded here in the RDS on a previous tour. And a great acknowledgement to the, uh, the, the, the fans of Ireland. Any previous collection has had a like a, twi- a one single CD, 20 track version, a 40 track two CD. But this one is the mother of all Neil Diamond collections and has 70 plus count them. And it is it, he cannot follow this. And if he does, he should be shot. <laughs> you want to bet? <laughs> well, right. <laughs> greatest hits from the greatest album. All yes. Right. So. So, uh, yeah, I mean, what's interesting about it, I think the first track we're going to play for diamond completists or diamond collectors. uh, He has um, demos of songs that he wrote for other artists. And one thing we easily forget about Diamond is that his reputation will probably remain intact uh, more so as a songwriter. He wrote classic Tin Pan Alley pop songs in the 60s and the 70s and still occasionally writes them. But the songs he wrote for the Monkees, like I'm a Believer, and the songs he wrote for Lulu, The Boat That I Row, and Elvis's version of And the Grass Don't Pay No Mind, stuff like that in the 1960s are as much part of his kind of uh, career as, as any of his own recordings. So what he's included on this are his own original demos of those. And But to me, what are, are you know, as I say, you would want to be an absolute diamond freak to enjoy the first half of the first CD because it's all these really dud quasi rock and roll pop songs that he recorded in the 50s that never quite made it. I could have, I think there's about 12 of those. We could have done with 11 less. Well, I could have. Right. <laughs> so what <laughs> but one funny thing first. What I like here is uh, the, the, it, this is a blend of the original version of what is one of his great songs. Love on the Rocks is one of his great songs. But this was originally called Scotch on the Rocks. 
There he is, Neil Diamond, Love on the Rocks, or as it started out, uh, Scotch on the Rocks. Right. Now, Joe, th- there we had in Love on the Rocks there, mm-hmm. and that brought me back to his performances. I think I saw him performing twice. Right. And right enough, you have to say, oh, come on, he's a bit schmaltzy at times and all this kind of thing, but he sure can work a crowd, and he has an electric style of performing. Mm-hmm. Now, is it over and done with that kind of style? I don't no, know. Uh, yeah, I think I, I think I saw the same shows. Maybe these are the ones in Croke Park about um, three years ago. Oh. And he was astounding the way he worked the crowd, even with songs that drive me nuts, like Forever in Blue Dream, Jeans and, and Sing Song Blue. I just thought the way he, uh, he, he grabbed it when he came out, the energy... Uh, and the way he manipulated the crowd in the best mm. sense through high emotion, lightweight rock and roll, you know, the jokes, the anecdotes, uh, instrumental stuff was just a perfectly paced rock show. But that is not something that's accidental. He actually employed people in the early 70s to as if you would, you know, when people put together a compilation album, they will test it out on 20 listeners and they'll sequence the songs. His shows are structured in that way. And they're also structured to be, number one, he said to me when I interviewed him, they're structured in a way to be like a Brother Love's Travelling Salvation Show, which is one of his songs, a gospel revival meeting. Elmer Gantry. Yeah, that gospel based in his music. So it's bring them up. Or if you want to look at it the other way, and he's run the parallel himself, uh, to bring people to the ultimate orgasm at the end of the show. Mm. So, I mean, so it's, it's, carefully it's, it's, it's very, 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 very well, meticulously worked out. What were your views on it? I mean, we're going to talk later on about your book, but and it's about interviews. But, but what, what were your views on Neil Diamond when you did meet him? Well, I mean, I've, uh, I like him, you know, and uh, I like the, the work that, of his that I think works best is the work. And he said it to me that is in a minor mode which is the next one we're going to play, Brooklyn Roads and stuff like that. I also think it's the work that taps into his Jewish base. It taps into what seems to be his innate melancholia. And I'm not saying being Jewish automatically, it follows that you're melancholic. But he's, And he said to me when I asked him about how much of this is Jewish, like the first song he ever wrote was an adaptation of a Jewish folk song. And he says that that cry, which is common to Irish music, and the third flatted note, a certain uh, note, like, which is in jazz and Irish music and Jewish music, the cry of the soul of the music he, he feels when he hits that, he creates his best sounds. But he also says that the sadness in his nature has as much to do with the man he became as whatever traveled through his genes. Mm. You know, so he's a very uptight, very tense man. And I just found this astounding about him. I met him before he went on, on the, uh, onto the, into Croke Park. And what had been funny was I'd interviewed him over the phone for the Irish Times. And, uh, he was talking very seriously at the end of, I had brought up the question of death threats. You know, that superstars like Tom Jones and himself, some people were out to kill them and they had death threats in the 70s. And he jokingly, very lightly said, uh, and even in sonorous tones, when he delivers a joke, you kind of you have to jump back two paces to see, is it really funny? Is he really being serious? And he said something about, I've had worse than death threats, you know? I'm going, yeah, Neil? And he said, um, you know, somebody uh, threatened to leave me their Barry Manilow record collection. Joke. <laughs> Oh, it's a joke, right? Right. But I got a phone call 24 hours later from uh, his assistant saying, Neil's a little bit worried that Barry Manilow fans will take offense to that and they may be picketing the concert. Could you change it to Lawrence Welk? Oh, so he didn't want the little edge to appear, did he not? Well, he was afraid that, you know, that's what I'm saying about how careful he is of his audience. And when I met him that day, he was really uptight. And I just said, 
again, he's tried to he's joke uptight me. what? About what? Oh, he's just uptight oh, about well, he's going on the, on the show. show. Okay, right. And I just said, uh, and he was really stiff, and someone wanted to take a photo of us, and he was very dry. And I said, the um, Barry Manilow fans are the ones we've heard it over in the corner. They're really going to kill you when you go out. Then, <laughs> <laughs> but he was seriously worried about that. Was he? So he is a very uptight man. And then what happened was we were at a press conference, and he never talks about his private life and all that stuff. And we've since seen that his marriage and all that has fallen apart. So he has reasons to be very, uh, and he's a very intense man. It comes across in his singing, mm, mm. very. But I think also the songs of his that are best, like the emotional power of love on the rocks, cannot be denied. Or That's I right. am, I said. Yeah. But I particularly prefer the earlier autobiographical songs uh, like Brooklyn Roads, which hooks straight into his own the street on which he lived. Brooklyn Roads. Neil Diamond and uh, Brooklyn Roads. So there we are. Hi, Joe Jackson here again. I thank you for listening to this edition of the Joe Jackson Interviews podcast. And don't forget, if you want to read any of my articles, check out my website, joejacksoninterviewer.com.